Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, this is it. This is the final podcast of the regular season. It's been uh, a great 20, now six episodes. Um, so happy to be bringing the last podcast of the regular season. Then we'll start with the playoffs, and then we will get into some of the off-season discussions. But with this last podcast, talk about the playoffs. They're set. We're ready to go. Got the closeout awards for some MVP claims. We got some discussion about some teams that finish strong, as well as overall efficient players. Talk about the Hall of Fame and the induction ceremony that happened for the last weekend. And then we'll end with everybody's favorite segment, What's the Verdict? Let's do this. Playoffs are set. We'll have some play-in games starting tonight with the Eastern Conference and tomorrow with the Western Conference. So who do you think it's going to end up being the seventh seed and the eighth seed, Stir? Oof, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this. I would have never um, imagined me saying this at the beginning of the year, but I actually do think that Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal are going to pull it off. And I know it sounds crazy because the Celtics were considered to be such a better team going in. The Washington Wizards look like one of the worst teams in the league at one point in the year. But Russell Westbrook is playing the best basketball of the season um, so far, and Bradley Beal is still. Uh, close to 30 point per game score, if not 30 point per game score. So when you factor in the fact that Jalen Brown is not going to be available and you're expecting Jason Tatum to carry the whole load, if you look at how that team closed out the season and the different warts and the different problems that were exposed for them, um, I think that the Wizards are trending in the right direction right now and playing better than they have been. And we can say the opposite for the Celtics. So I think the Wizards end up pulling that one off. All right. So you have the Wizards beating the Celtics for the seventh spot, but between then the Celtics and the winner of the Pacers Hornets, who do you have there? Pacers Hornets. You want to say the Pacers, they definitely have the better roster on paper right now. DeMontis Sabonis has been playing great. Uh, Miles Turner is an interesting piece. They have a lot of assets that are underrated, honestly. You would expect for them to be able to pull it off. They have a team that is more experienced and has more depth than probably all of the teams on the Eastern playing tournament side. I know that their star power probably isn't as good as Boston's or Washington's, but overall they probably have the deepest team in terms of depth. So. Um, Probably the Pacers to take that one. All right. Well, then, who between the Pacers and the Celtics? Well, I, I chose the Wizards to advance. So yeah, I'm, but then I'm, there's I'm the, the Wizards. You have the Wizards over the Celtics, but then the Celtics get relegated to eighth. So then eight and nine play for the A spot. So who do you have between the Celtics I'm taking the and Pacers. the Pacers? I'm taking the Pacers just because I think the Celtics have. Unfortunately for them, such little depth, they really couldn't afford to have one of their main cornerstones go down. They were a team that relied entirely on the production of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to be able to do essentially everything for that team on offense. Um, Kemba Walker has not been a consistent offensive scorer. Neither is Marcus Smart. And I think that losing Jalen Brown, not only do you lose potentially your best scorer this season, um, depending on who you want to look at between him and Tatum this year, they're both pretty even, but you also probably lose their best perimeter defender too. So um, I think that unfortunately the Celtics are going to be bowing out early this year. All right. Well, I have a similar story, slightly different um, to, to yours. I think the wizards, like you said, will pull it off against the Celtics. Um, Russell Westbrook just close out the season. Excellently. Bradley Beal obviously is an awesome scoring threat. I still think, even if the Celtics were to pull it off, uh, either the Wizards or the Celtics will be an early exit. I think the Wizards winning and getting that seventh spot is poetic justice to have Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook for four games at least. Um, but I think that the Celtics get sent to that eighth spot. I think the Hornets actually take the Pacers. Um, and then I think Gordon Hayward hits a game-winning shot against the Celtics to t- knock them out of the playoffs. That's if he doesn't break his hand first. 
or fractures a toe or God knows he's due. I mean, how many days has it been since his last injury? At least 15. So I think that he's due. I don't want to wish any bad on him, but um, I just, I just can't see it happening, especially when they're relying a lot of the Hornets best players are first, second and third year players who have never played in the playoffs. I just don't expect them to be able to pull it off. But, I mean, it's going to make for a fun series. Miles Bridges, he's going to be fun to uh, have him potentially have some in-game dunks that are going to matter for the postseason. That would be great to see Lonzo Ball um, performing when it matters most, see what he looks like under pressure when games really matter most. That would be nice to see. But ultimately, I think the Pacers take it. All right. Well, we shall see. But on the Western Conference side, uh, I think this one is where it gets way more interesting. You have the Lakers this Warriors, which would would really people would have thought been a Western Conference Finals matchup at some point. Obviously, Clay being injured the last two years has uh, hindered the Warriors from being at full strength. But I think between these two, the Warriors take this game. The Lakers have not looked like themselves. And the Warriors clamp down on LeBron and AD and take the seventh spot. And then I think the Grizzlies beat the Spurs. I think John Morant has been excellent this season. And that young team is better uh, than the Spurs overall. And then I think that the Lakers are too much for the young Grizzlies to handle and send them home and take the eighth spot for their treacherous journey to repeat back-to-back. Honestly, I, I really do like your projection. Um, it's just I do think that the Lakers might beat the Warriors just because the Warriors team, I know that Stephen Curry has, had, has been having an MVP-level year, probably the best season of his career in terms of scoring. But unfortunately for them, the other team that they're playing in Anthony Davis and LeBron James presents certain matchup issues with size that is probably going to make it pretty tough for the Warriors to get anything going inside. They're going to rely entirely on Stephen Curry knocking down insane perimeter shots. Um, I'm sure Anthony Davis is going to play one of his best defensive games of the year. And LeBron James is going to try to have one of his best defensive games of the year too. He'll probably guard Curry for stretches. And I think that for Curry, it may just be a little too hard to overcome knowing that since there's not really another a major offensive threat on that roster, all the attention is going to be on him. I think it may be a little too much for him to pull off. So the only difference I have is I think the Lakers are still ultimately going to beat the Warriors, unfortunately. Well, we shall see what happens there. But let's uh, – I want to talk a little bit more about the playoffs, get away from the play-in games. But – Assuming our predictions come through and uh, whatever we're thinking respectively, what teams do you feel have the best chance of an upset in each conference and, and those matchups? So for the Eastern Conference, I think the best chance of an upset would, would be the Miami Heat. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about it later, but the Heat closed probably strongest of any team in the Eastern Conference with an eight and two record to close the season. And we know that they can beat Milwaukee because they've done it before. They did it last year's playoffs. So they do have um, a game plan and a blueprint for defending that team. And they did present some significant matchup problems for them last season. I know that the Milwaukee Bucks did add Drew Holiday and that does add another dimension to their game. He is an upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. But ultimately, I think the Miami Heat are still going to essentially have the same game plan going in. And um, given how well the Heat have been playing to close the season, given that they are the reigning Eastern Conference final, sorry, the reigning Eastern Conference champions, and given that they've already pulled this off before, I think that that's the safest pick to pull off an upset in the East. And um, if we're looking over at the West, I think probably the biggest odds of an upset would be looking at that Clippers Mavericks series just because we do have a team in the Clippers 
which has underperformed in the playoffs and also has a player in Paul George who has been on fire in the regular season who they rely on that tends to underperform in the playoffs. So you remember that stat um, that came out that Paul George is probably one of the least clutch players in the league when taking field goal attempts in the fourth quarter when the team is within five points. Um, and Luka Doncic, conversely, has proven to be a very tough out even last season when he made his first appearance. He really did give the Lakers a hell of a series. And um, I think this year they're a little stronger. They're a little healthier. Porzingis is obviously healthier. He went down last year early in the playoffs. So if I'm looking at an upset in the West, it'd probably be the Mavericks. All right. Well, I agree with you on the heat front. I think that they do have the best chance in the East to beat uh, the Bucks. I don't really consider four or five to be that much of an upset because for example, in uh, the East, the Knicks and the Hawks are, they have the same record. So a slight uh, difference in tiebreaker allowed the Knicks to take over the Hawks there. Um, but yeah, I agree with you on the heat. I think that the X factors that everybody knows about will Playoff Tyler come back and will Bam be able to clamp down on Giannis? And I think if those two things come true, then the Heat are able to overtake the Bucks, sending Mike Budenholzer packing uh, to another team. On the Western side, I think this is where things get more interesting. Their play-in games really dictate uh, what I think could be some potential upsets. I think if the Lakers do end up winning, like you think they will against the Warriors and take that seventh spot, then they have a great chance to take over uh, and beat the Suns. I think it'd be cool to watch Chris Paul and LeBron James, probably one of their last times that they'd ever play against one another in the playoffs. Um, but I think the the Suns, they're young, they're fun. Chris Paul has led them to a great season. It'd be a great storybook ending if he could get them uh, to the finals and win this year. But LeBron James could be standing in his way and friends turn to foes for four to seven games. Um Additionally, I think that the Jazz, like LeBron said earlier this year, nobody picks them in 2K. Uh, so overall, although they're the one spot, they are, I feel, a one spot that could very well be knocked off by an upstart team or a team that closed up season well. So if the Lakers or the Warriors play them, I think that the Jazz might go the stretch and end up potentially losing in a crushing end yeah. of their season. You know what? I hope Donovan Mitchell is listening to this because this man, the way that he is disregarded is pretty offensive. I mean, this guy has led his team to the best record in the West this year. And I know that everyone sees them as an early out team, but if you look at the Jazz in last year's playoffs, they didn't look like an early out team. They went to seven games in a straight up battle. And it is unfortunate the way it went down for them because they had the lead. They could have by all means advanced, they had a sizable advantage in that series. I think they led 3-0 at one point. And then they let the Nuggets come back on them. But clearly, the team is not one that is devoid of talent and can compete. They almost did take the Nuggets. And the Nuggets are not a team that anyone considers to be an early out team. People always say the Nuggets could potentially be a team that can win it all. But if that's the case, then you got to kind of get a little bit more respect to the Jazz, too, if they took that team to seven games and it took everything from Jamal Murray dropping 50 um, several times in that series to pull it off. So I know that Donovan Mitchell is hearing all of this. Um, he hears all the time from guys like Shaq um, and other people that the Jazz are a fun story and aren't probably going to advance very far. So it'll be really interesting to see what he looks like in this postseason because I know that he's going to try to come out and establish himself and his team as something that is legitimate and not just a fun little storyline. So that'll definitely be a fun one to watch. I fully expect them to make it out of the first round at least. Well, I want to touch on one point you made there. Almost doesn't win championships. Just ask Carl Malone, John Stockton, and Pete Maravich. Moving on. <laughs> MVP claims. LeBron and John Morant both came out and stated Steph is the MVP this season, which Steph has also come out and said that he is the MVP. So will the strong play and entry into the playoffs get him past Jokic? Honestly, 
It is such a hard MVP race to call. I know that everyone's calling for Curry because the storyline behind it is so great. And it would be a great story. He'd probably be the first MVP to win it with a team that is going in ranked as eighth. I don't know that there's been another MVP that's won it with a team ranked eighth at the end of the season. So that would be really incredible. But at the same time, I still got to go with my guy, Jokic. He's the only dude that's been putting up MVP type stats that isn't lobbying for it, which is awesome. He's got the better record. He leads the league in PER. He's getting 8.3 assists as a big man, 10.8 rebounds and 26.4 points. He's averaging close to a triple-double. So as amazing as Stephen Curry has been leading the league in scoring, I think you're getting more total production from Jokic still. And his, his percentages have been elite. I mean, 56.6% from the field. Stephen Curry can't even come close to that. And 38.8% from three. I mean, what more can you ask for? He's giving you everything you want. And his team is also ranked much higher and has had a lot more success this year. So despite the storyline from Stephen Curry, I think ultimately Jokic still wins it. Yeah, I think Curry finishes second. Jokic, if Jamal Murray had gone down and the Nuggets went like under 500 the entire time Jamal Murray was out and ended up moving down in the rankings to seventh spot, then I think it's safe to say Seth would be the MVP. But thanks to Jokic and Michael Porter Jr., that didn't happen. So there's no way Steph overtakes him. There's been no drop off this production. In my opinion, like you said, when Jamal Murray went down, that cemented it. I, I think for me and for a lot of people, the success of the Nuggets is entirely dependent on Jokic, it seems, because even when Murray goes down, who's an all-star caliber player, they just kept on powering through right along. There was no drop off in production from Jokic. He kept it going. Um, they integrated Michael Porter Jr. into that second scoring role, and it was all seamless because Jokic is the guy who drives that train, and he drives it really well. So I think he's going to definitely win his first MVP this year, and it's not because Stephen Curry didn't do enough to win it. It's just that Jokic did a little more. I agree. Well, moving on to a team that has closed out the season well, we talked about earlier. The Heat are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games to close the season, including a blowout of number one Philly, although Embiid was sitting. Team seems fully healthy, minus Oladipo. Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, Drogic have all had a resurgence. So now that they're not tired and hurt, do you think that they can get back to the Eastern Conference Finals? I think that if I'm looking at the matchups between them and the Bucks. I have to pick them to go back to the Eastern Conference Finals again. I just think that really this comes down to is can Giannis knock down the outside shot? This is really what it's going to be because we know what they're going to do. We know that the Heat are essentially going to try to stop Giannis from getting into the paint the same way they did last season. They're probably going to throw in a heavy dose of switching with the zone defense um, sprinkled in throughout, and they're going to build a wall to block him from getting into the paint because they know that Giannis Antetokounmpo is still not a very great free throw shooter. And I mean, as a player, when you're on the biggest stage and you're at the free throw line and you're just seeing misses, especially when your team really needs the points and everyone's watching, that could be demoralizing. It takes away from your confidence overall um, in other aspects of your game. And it makes you want to be less aggressive because you're a little bit more weary of the fact that if you attack the basket and you get fouled, you're going to have to go back to that free throw line. So as great as Giannis is, I think until he adds that dimension to his game or goes to a team with a roster that's better suited to mitigate that, he's going to unfortunately keep getting that same treatment where they just leave him wide open. And if I'm looking at his stats on the year, he's shooting 68% from the free throw line which is actually below his career average. And he's shooting 30% from three. So at that percent, I don't think that that's going to be an efficient of enough offense for the Bucks to be able to advance against a team like the Heat, which are very defensive oriented, very grinded out, very disciplined. 
And the Heat, honestly, like you've mentioned, they've been having a resurgence with a lot of their players. They have a lot of different layers to their team. I think that their depth is overall better than the Bucks's. I think the Bucks rely a lot on Giannis. But if you look at some of the Heat's players, which were essentially forgotten and left for dead, players like Kendrick Nunn, who were second in Rookie of the Year voting last year, um, lost a starting job. A lot of people thought that something was up with him. Maybe teams had figured him out. He ends up closing the year, shooting 38.1% from three and 48.5% from the field, both improved over last year and close to the same point total around 15 points per game, um, averaging 17.7 over his last 10. Tyler Hero closes the season, setting a career high in assists, only one turnover, 11 assists. Um, and as of late, has been shooting lights out from deep, looking a lot like he did in last season's playoffs. Goran Dragic looks healthy finally for the first time all year. So I really do think that it's going to come down to, does this team have to play the Nets? I think if they play the Nets, the Nets beat them if they're healthy. Um, but I fully expect them to be a team that can potentially make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. They have a roster that can compete with anybody on a given day, especially if their three-pointers are going down. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on all points. Um, the, the Nets piece is really where I stop uh, the heat train because if they end up getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and play the Nets, then and I'm, I'm not actually certain if the seeding gets uh, them to that that way or if they end up having to go through Philly last. But regardless, whenever they would have to play the Nets, uh, if the Nets are fully healthy and all of them are on the court, then it's going to be difficult to choose the Heat over them. I think that the Heat can clamp down on one, maybe two of those guys, but the, the Nets seem to be deeper than uh, most people give them credit for. And I could see somebody like Joe Harris or Nick Claxton scoring a ton because there's double teams or clamp downs on Kyrie KD and James Harden. So the switch defense is great. The zone might work a little bit, but they still have guys that can attack drive and carve the heat up from the inside. If they did decide to play the zone, they have the right roster for it. That's for sure. They have the shooters to neutralize the zone, the passing and the IQ to be able to break their zone and also the size and the finishing ability to be able to consistently penetrate inside. So I think, honestly, it's, it should be a Nets ring unless some freak accident happens along the way. I just don't see how you game plan for this team. Me either, but we'll see what happens. Let's talk a little bit more about efficient players, though. Kyrie joined the 50-40-90 club. Tony Snell joined the 50-50-100 club. Steph was 42-48-92. Chris Paul gets 40 50 uh, 50, 40, 90 with rounding. He's like 0.8 off of the 50, 40 mark. Zach Levine gets 50, 40, 80. Is this the most efficient NBA season ever? Like what's the cause of this? What, what do you think? It's a hundred percent the most efficient NBA season ever. I don't think that you can question it. It's a statistical fact. We've never seen um, scoring at this volume and this efficiency ever in the history of the league. And I think that really what it comes down to is right now we have reached a point in the league where teams have, I look at it like an evolution before teams were not as efficient. They pretty much relied on hero ball, lots of isolation. The playing style that Carmelo Anthony started with was based on the playing style of the past where the star player of that team takes the bulk of the shots, lots of isolation plays, lots of hero ball. Think back to Kobe era and Jordan era basketball. Um, it's not always the most efficient basketball to play that way because a lot of times when you do that, you're going to be taking contested shots. It's obviously going to be easier to hit an open shot than a contested one. And we've seen that at every level. So it's not surprising that now that teams have figured out that shooting and spacing are key and priority number one, every team over the last couple of years has essentially transformed and shifted their rosters to be able to play the style of basketball where they have essentially prioritized their lineups to be able to maximize spacing so that people that are drivers and rim attackers have space to get into the lane and people that are shooters have plenty of opportunity to be able to get their shot off. 
At this point in the NBA, the worst thing you can be is somebody that doesn't have any spacing. It's become the number one resource, it seems, to offenses. And I think that we're just seeing a manifestation of a couple of years that have passed and teams retooling their rosters from top to bottom to be able to play a more efficient style of basketball that is dictated around quick passing, spacing, three-point shooting, and efficient basketball, um, especially now that statistics has taken such a big role with many teams having um, dedicated statisticians in their front offices that are influencing game plans and decision-making. Um, so I think that that's really the result of just all these things coming together, teams shifting their rosters and statistics taking a bigger role in game plan. I think there are some other variables too, uh, in addition to yours. I think that the uh, refereeing has gotten softer, similar to what you see in the NFL. Uh, and given that people, if they miss a shot, are sometimes missing it when a foul is called. That's wouldn't probably be a foul back then. So uh, those shots missing aren't going to count. Um, and I think that like the the resting or the uh, holding guys out also plays a factor because players are playing fewer games overall. So they're not as exhausted when they're playing, which means they have fresher legs under them, which means that they can have the ability to be more efficient and have fewer games counting uh, potentially negatively against them because they aren't going at it every night. So I think that there are a lot of factors uh, in play here, but I agree with everything that you said. I think that as time goes on, as analytics get more involved, you know, I'm an analytics buff. So um, I, I think that that's just going to continue to, improve the game but also it's going to improve what the players eat so then they're going to be more rested better fed more lean and like overall going to have just like better and longer careers because of it they're going to be able to use analytics and uh in conjunction with their coaches and training to know which spots are the best for them against what types of players and have a more targeted and personalized game plan going in so there's all those different factors in play. Uh, and as technology uh, advances, I think that it's just going to make the game more and more efficient. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with your points as well. I, I actually didn't even think of um, the impact of how it's not even just a field goal percentage. Think about all the fouls called on threes too. Mm -hmm. All those three pointers that were fouled were misses that were removed. Right. So yeah, I, I definitely can see how removing misses definitely improves your field goal percentage all across the board. Yep. And it makes guys play more off because you don't want to commit that foul. So it might give players a little more space than what they historically had. That's true. Very true. All right. Well, talking about some people in the past hall of fame, the 2020 hall of fame was rescheduled given COVID last year. So finally some probably one of the best classes ever um, was inducted Kobe Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett headlined the class to get inducted into, like I said, one of the most star-studded classes ever. Uh, this year's ceremony, which will take place, I believe, September 11th of 2021, will feature Chris Bosh, Paul Pierce, and Chris Weber. So let's start with the 2020 class, uh, talk about the impact each class uh, had on the game. Yeah, honestly, this was a great ceremony. Some of the greatest, Kobe, Duncan, KG, um, I got to say, KG definitely takes the cake for the, the pettiest um, ceremony speech I've ever heard to go on and thank everybody except for Ray Allen and Rajan Rondo to be a grown man at KG's age and still be holding on to that. I mean, KG would act, it just goes to show you his competitive fire. I think each of them really did define an aspect of the game. KG was always known for that intense competitive fire, um, losing yourself in the game and basically making it acceptable to understand that it's okay to get mad. It's just, it's okay to get fiery during the game. It's okay to be passionate. It's okay to use that to fuel your game. It doesn't mean that you're a raging maniac off the court, but to be able to channel that anger and that passion and to play with that fury it, it really impassions all of your teammates and elevates their level of play. So that's what I'll always remember him for. 
Um, Tim Duncan, what can we say about him? Probably one of the most soft-spoken all-time greats of all time. He never campaigns for himself, um, never gives himself any credit, but low-key has won four championships, one of the most dominant power forwards of all time. It's really hard to say um, based on his resume that he's not a top five power forward of all time. Definitely one of the most winning power forwards of all time. The man doesn't know how to lose. And he's won with a lot of different lineups. Um, he's honestly won playing the game the right way. Never cared about stat padding. Um, was always where he needed him to be on defense. Um, and was always a very efficient scorer. Was always very smart at taking the right shot, making the right decision. The big fundamental was obviously an appropriate nickname for him. And then Kobe Bryant, what can't we say about him? Um, he's many, many people's favorite player. Um, he's one of those guys that's in the same breath of a Michael Jordan and to some people a LeBron James, one of those people that inspires a generation of athletes and really captures um, the imagination of all the viewers and all the fans of that sport for a decade and more. Um, Going to go down as one of the greatest scorers of all time. He's definitely on basketball's Mount Rushmore. Um, you can maybe even argue that he's a top five player of all time, depending on how you want to look at it. And probably the closest thing to Jordan that we ever got. So really unfortunate, his early passing, but his impact on the game and his mentality, his commitment to work ethic and to never stopping trying to improve. I think that's what Kobe really gave to the game, his mentality and his mindset of never stopping and never settling and always trying to be continuously improving. So I think that apart from all the stats, they all contributed a lot in terms of the culture that they gave the game with their personalities and their mindsets. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the Kobe thing I think, uh, was, was touching, uh, Vanessa's words. Um, and with Kobe, uh, it, like you said, that mentality piece, um, the moment he gets out of the league, he starts directing and writing wins an Oscar. And I could totally see that whatever chapter he was going to go into in his life, he was going to give it that same sort of mama mentality and give it all everything a hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, had he not passed, I think he would have had a nomination at least for best director in an actual feature film. Um, I think that he would have continued to produce children's books and regular books generally and become a better writer. So he, he would have absolutely uh, continued to dominate in whatever he chose as his sport um, because that's, that's just who he was. So it's good that he'll live forever in the hall. Um, Kevin Garnett, I do think it was petty what he did, especially because Ray Allen during his speech a couple of years ago did thank Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and that team. Um, so clearly Ray didn't hold that grudge um, and, and still thank them. So um, it is what it is. Like people know what went into that. People know who was involved. Uh, it doesn't really have to be something uh, that, Others make note of we'll have two more chances to see this happen because Paul Pierce's uh, enshrinement will be next year. And Rajon Rondo, I assume, will be five years past whenever he plays in uh, his last game in a couple of years. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I, I do think that it was uh, petty overall. We'll see the other two, how petty they could be. Um, and then lastly, Timmy, uh, he... He seems very at peace with his uh, retirement and at peace with just being in the Hall of Fame. And, and he had that one season last year of being a assistant coach. Seems like it wasn't for him, at least at the time. So um, he's, I think, one of the quietest, best players to ever play the game. Like people, a lot of people have him as their number one power forward, but he just gets overlooked still, um, even though he won as many championships as he did played amazing basketball for uh so long in san antonio but that was just kind of that was the the popovich way the san antonio way just be quiet and get out of everybody's way and we'll end up on the top so also uh, one of the few lifers one of the few players to never switch yeah him and kobe so um 
you know, great on them. Uh, Kevin Garnett did have, you know, the return to Minnesota. um, And if only his relationship wasn't fractured so that he could have bought the team, like as was promised by uh, Glenn Taylor. But um, yeah, just a great, great story overall from, from all of them. Yeah, definitely agree. Next year's ceremony will feature Chris Bosch, Paul Pierce, and Chris Weber. Um, in my opinion, not quite as star-studded of a class as the one we just mentioned, but that's not to discredit them. It's just this one is kind of got to go down as one of the best ever. But talk a little bit about the upcoming class with Bosch, Pierce, and Chris Weber um, joining next year's class. Yeah, I'll start with Bosch. Most heartbreaking story. Um that I've seen from like an active basketball player was definitely Chris Bosch. Uh, not because I'm a heat fan, but more so it, like that's, he was 32. That's what this guy's entire life goal was, was to continue to be a basketball player. And, um, you know, unfortunately the blood cots were too risky, uh, for him to continue to play. So it's good to see him, uh, enshrined in the class and I hope that he um continues to grow and continues to impact the game in other ways um because his career was definitely taken too soon from him um he had that type of game that you knew could transcend being like a young athletic guy he didn't need to be super athletic he could stretch from anywhere on the floor he really that heat team with Wade Bosch and LeBron was I think one of the uh, pivotal teams to start small ball to feature stretch fours and stretch fives and to get the league to where it is today. So I think that he had a huge impact there. Um, Paul Pierce, I mean, you know, he, he did have that one season, obviously winning the finals MVP in 08 when uh, they played. I never really loved Paul Pierce's game. I did think he complained too much, but he'll he'll be in the hall and hopefully he can uh, get his off the court life together so that he can get another analyst position if that's <laughs> what he uses. Uh, but he had a an ugly exit from ESPN earlier this year. And then Chris Weber, class act. I'm glad he's finally in the hall. Uh, he had an excellent career overall, and um, I agree with you overall. Not a star studded class, but I remember watching Chris Weber as a kid and uh, really enjoying his game. So, yeah, when I look at these guys, um, Chris Webber to me is like a fringe Hall of Famer. He I'm not surprised that he made it, but I also wouldn't have been shocked if he didn't make it. His career averages are essentially 20 points per game with. 9.8 rebounds for his career, which is honestly really great, but as you can see. 20 and nine, there's, there's a bunch of players that do that every year. It's not really considered one of the best players in the league. If you do that at his peak, he put up 27 a game, which is pretty great. He did it once. Um, his best season after that was around 24 a game. He did that a couple of times. I'm still glad to see him in the league. He's a great guy. He's a class act, but um, again, not really like a huge name. I think that Chris Bosch was so underappreciated by so many like you said his career was taken from him way too soon at 32 years old to put it in perspective Stephen Curry is right now averaging the highest scoring totals of his whole career at 33 one year older than what Chris Bush retired at so it is really unfortunate what happened to him but um you got to give Chris Bosch credit for doing one of the hardest things on that small ball team like you referenced when Chris Bosch came into the league he wasn't really a stretch four. He could shoot the jump shot and he was a, a solid mid-range shooter, but he did prioritize attacking the basket. It's just that when he went to the heat, he had to become a stretch four out of necessity in order for that team to reach its full potential uh, for Wade and Bosch to be able to attack the basket more consistently. He needed to be a threat to pull their big man out of the paint. And he developed that jump shot all the way out to three point range and became a really consistent shooter. He was probably a better shooter off the catch than either Wade or LeBron was at the peak of his career. And um, I think that, like you said, he really did start popularizing that stretch four concept. So it's really great to see him in the league. 
And Paul Pierce, um, <laughs> he did have that great year at the Celtics. I think what he'll be famous for, um, whether it's fair, deserved, or not, everyone is always going to remember Paul Pierce and the beginning of the super teams. Many will say that the super team thing happened before that. But for many, and myself included, the Celtics super team of him, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett was the first super team that I remember everyone talking about in the media. So um, that's what I'll always remember him for. Obviously, the guy loved his footwork, wasn't really a great athlete, but he did have some success. Uh, much better player than he was an analyst, that's for sure. His analysis was definitely terrible. I'm, I'm actually glad that I don't have to hear it anymore. But um, overall, interesting class. Not as good as the one coming in this year, but it'll be interesting to see next year um, what Paul Pierce says in this speech and if he addresses um, the Ray Allen situation. What if he just has a bunch of strippers on stage with him, like in his IG video, <laughs> like Snoop Dogg performing? <laughs> just like, I'm thanking all the honeys. That's it. I'm out. You know what? <laughs> I heard he actually got offered a job to host something that sounded kind of like that. So who knows? It may be possible. Um, I can't remember what it was, the show, but it was something. They wanted him to host some kind of event where he would be essentially sportscasting with strippers in the back. I can't remember which one it was, but who knows, man? It's possible. These days, anything can happen. But moving on to our next segment, what's the verdict? I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you let us know if they are guilty or innocent. All right, for this first one, this one's a little bit of a projection because the person hasn't technically committed the crime yet. So I'm going to ask you, will they be guilty of this? Kyrie Irving recently declined to answer basketball questions in an interview, stating that there are things bigger than basketball happening right now. So he simply can't talk basketball. He can't answer questions about the game. There's just more important things right now. This isn't the first time that Kyrie has done something like this, and he's essentially um, deflected from answering a question related to basketball to try to then put the attention on something else. He's also um, declined to answer questions altogether. And we, we also know his um, variety of personal vacations that he's taken over the season for personal reasons. So what I'm asking is, now that we know that Kyrie is capable of this, will Kyrie be guilty of being too concerned with non-basketball-related issues and causing distractions for his team during the playoffs? Here's the thing. I want to say guilty, but the guy finished 50-40-90 over the course of the season when he claims to have been not focused on basketball-related issues the whole season. And had all of these things. So I think he can just keep being him and keep doing whatever he wants and saying he doesn't care about winning or caring about anything other than his team being healthy. And that, like, that's all fine, kosher, dandy. Like, it, it's good. Um, and good on him that he's always, I guess, trying to think about um, people being healthy and, and like overall, like the bigger picture in life. But as long as he's putting up 50, 40, 90. I don't think people care whether he's thinking about the game, whether he's thinking about his vacation, whether he's thinking about like going on a trip after the finals. Cause 50, 40, 90 with 40 points a game or 30 points a game is going to get them to a championship. Yeah. I think I have to agree with you on that one. If he can keep up his level of performance, that's what it comes down to really. I mean, Dennis Rodman did all kinds of things that could have been considered serious distractions for his team. But as long as when it came time to suit up and play, he performed, then they were willing to give him the pass. And I think it's something kind of similar with Kyrie Irving. And it's probably something kind of similar with James Harden too, with, um, with his uh, very well-known love of partying and strip clubs and such. I think that that's the culture of the Nets. We all have our things. Kevin Durant likes to engage in Twitter wars and social media fights. Kyrie Irving likes to take on the brunt of the world's problems and James Harden likes to party. But 
as long as all of us can perform when we're on the court, it doesn't matter that we all have these outside endeavors. So I agree with you on that end. Yeah. Um, but moving on. Well, okay. no, just to continue there, um, like Kyrie played 54 of the 72 games this season, which is more than Harden, LeBron James, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid. So like, although he did take time off, he still played more than a lot of the other stars that people revere in the league. That's true. Kyrie Irving actually quietly had one of the best seasons of his career. Um, if you're actually looking at it from a statistical standpoint, it was definitely his most efficient season of his career. It's not the highest point total he's ever gotten, but in my opinion, it's probably the best season he's ever played. Um, just in terms of his efficiency, he's really elevated his game. I don't know if it's just because he's getting easier opportunities, playing with more talent, but he's quietly having the best year of his career. So like you said, as long as he carries that into the playoffs and performs, the off-the-court headlines won't matter. But um, going on to one of Kyrie Irving's old teammates, LeBron James recently shared an Instagram post that he has the most consecutive 25 points per game seasons at 17 in a row. But somehow he's a pass-first guy and is never mentioned in the discussion with the greats of scoring. He's basically out here saying that he's a great scorer and he should be mentioned with the greats of scoring and he doesn't know why he's not. Um, is LeBron guilty of self-promoting and campaigning for himself too much or does he have a point? Uh, he's guilty of it, but he does have a point. I think you can <laughs> be guilty and still have a point for things. Um, and we talked about this last episode. LeBron James, a very strategic man, thinks about things in, uh, I think, years, not in terms of seconds or minutes. And so this is all strategy. It, it's how, how do I plant the seed now so that when I pass whoever for the fifth most assist in the league – and then when Chris Paul retires, I pass him to get the third most assists. And then I pass like Jason Kidd at some point as well. Like then he can say, you know, I've been saying this for a couple of years. Like I'm just a kid from Akron and or Akron and uh, I'm a, a great passer. I people have doubted my passing and he already has everybody thinking like, oh, people are doubting his passing. People are doubting his passing. And so like all the bronze stands are like people are doubting his passing. And then he gets to third or, or whatever it is. So guilty, but it, it's, I think it's all like a self-marketing tactic that he's just planting these seeds early to a year, two, three down the road when he's still playing. People doubted me. Here's what I accomplished. I've been saying this for years. Um, honestly, I agree with you. He is probably a better scorer than people give him credit for. But the one thing that we have to take into account is at no point in LeBron James's career has he been the best scorer in the league. Like, he's always been a great scorer, but you can say that he, on any given year in, in his uh, decade of domination, that he may have been the best overall player in the league. But I don't think there's any one season that you can say that he was the best scorer in the league. So the criticisms that he's complaining about, oh, I don't get compared with the all-time great scorers, yeah, because at no point in your career have you been the greatest scorer in the league. You literally have zero scoring titles. You're not the best scorer in the league now. You weren't the best scorer in the league last year or the year before that. So even though he's always been a top five scorer, he's never been the number one scorer at any point in his career. And that's the truth. So, yes, they are going to consider him a pass first guy, especially when for a lot of times earlier in his career, there's lots of highlights and videos of him passing up on attempts to possibly win the game to try to get a teammate an open look. So yes, when you do things like that for half of your career and you've never been the number one scorer in the league at any point in your career, then it's not that crazy to think that you're not going to be mentioned with the greatest scorers of all time. You are one of the greatest players of all time, just not the greatest scorer. And that's okay. He's still an amazing player. Um, I just, it strikes a chord with me how much he cares about what people say about him. Like, you, you know that you're a great scorer. You know that you're an amazing player. Why do you care about how people talk about you so much? Isn't it enough to know that you have the accomplishment? Like players that we were talking about in this Hall of Fame class that were just recently inducted, I don't think any of those guys or actually any all-time great that I can think of 
campaigns or complains about not getting enough credit as much as LeBron does. It blows my mind in any sport. So I think that LeBron is just a little bit um, maybe insecure about his place in league history because he feels, I know that he wants to retire as the number one greatest player in the, in the mind of everyone who watches the game of basketball. But I think that maybe the reason why he acts this way is because maybe there's still that lingering shadow of a ghost above him where he's still kind of like, damn, you know what? No matter what I do, people still talk about Jordan like he might be better than me. What can I do? Do I have to be considered a better scorer? Do I have to be talked about this way? How can I be talked about and framed so that people will think that I'm number one? He cares so much what people think. And I think that to me is just so unlike the mindset of like your Jordans and your Kobe's. And I think that's for me why I can't have him as my greatest of all time, no matter what he accomplishes. But he is a better scorer than people give him credit for. So I will give him a little bit on that one. But uh, moving on to defense, Dwight Howard, former defensive player of the year, not known for playing um, quite at that level anymore, has been suspended one game by the NBA for earning his 16th tee for his role in the scuffle between him and Udonis Haslam. It seems that um, lately Dwight Howard has been playing a little bit less defense and playing a little bit more in that enforcer role where he tries to get under your skin and um, play physical, maybe somewhat considered even dirty, but is he guilty of trying to engage in too many extracurriculars? Uh it's Dwight Howard. This is just who he is. So, yeah, he's guilty of just being him. That's all I got to say. You got to give it to him, though. He picked the perfect guy to do it to. Udonis Haslam doesn't play a game all year. Comes in for, I believe, four minutes and gets ejected in a four-minute span. I mean, only Dwight Howard can get under someone's skin that fast. So I understand that it is a strategy some players use. Draymond Green um, included. Try to be physical with players and rough them up a little when refs aren't watching to get under their skin, play mind games, and get them to perform badly. But I, I do think that Dwight Howard is guilty of doing it a little bit too much. It's just it gets to a point where you're taking away from the game of basketball. And for me, when I play the game of basketball, I like to see the game of basketball. I don't want to see – all of the extracurriculars and the, oh, let me try to play the mind game within the game. Just play the game. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, people should do that, but this is like Kevin Garnett was notorious for this. We talked about him earlier. Um, yep. Dwight yep, Howard. It's true. That's how he is. Like, that's how some of these guys are. That's, a, that's, they consider like the third phase of the game. You got offense, defense, and getting into the mind. That's all we've got for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. Definitely make sure to follow us. Um, visit our Twitter. Hit us up with a DM and be featured on our next segment. We'll definitely be getting a deposition in real soon, so stay tuned for that. And we'll see you on the next episode. I'm Eric Gonzalez. <laughs> and I'm Mike Stair. <laughs>